Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Danae. Would you please stand for the scripture reading? Today's reading is from Romans 4, 1 through 5, and 23 through 24. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Let's remain standing as we pray. God, we thank you for these words that, that we can be credited as righteous, and that is by faith, that is a gift you've given us. Lord, help us in our unbelief, this, this thing that seems too good to be true, that Lord, even though we have fallen short, even though we cannot work for our salvation, that you have credited to us as righteous. We are righteous before you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that, Lord. We praise your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone shouted, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Today, I am excited to talk about this righteousness that has been given to us only by our faith. It's undeserved, and it's awesome, and it's good, and I'm excited to be talking about it this morning. Uh, let me show you uh, with you a story. Does anybody like YouTube videos? Anybody a YouTuber? Good. Okay. A couple of people. I used to, like 10 years ago, I used to say, oh, I'm a YouTuber. I know all the YouTubes. And people are, well, have you seen the double rainbow guy? I was like, of course I've seen the double rainbow guy. Have you seen the Charlie bit my finger? Of course I've seen the Charlie bit my finger. Have you seen the Susan Boyle singing the opera? Of course I've seen that. I'm a YouTube expert. But I very quickly stopped saying that because there are so many YouTube videos out there. As a side note, Every minute, get this, this is just a side note for fun, but every minute there's 300 hours uploaded to YouTube on average. So if someone is born and they want to see all the footage that was uploaded the day they were born, it would take them not only their own lifetime, but someone else's lifetime just to watch all that footage. That's just a side note because I thought it was interesting. But... Let me say this. There's a YouTube, lots of YouTube videos out there that are very inspirational. One of them I saw uh, not too long ago, and I rewatched this week. It's of a young boy, it's a, a boy in high school with Down syndrome that scores a touchdown. So you could type that in, Down syndrome boy scores touchdown, and you will watch this video and bawl your eyes out. It's an inspirational video. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So this kid who has Down syndrome, his name is Noah, uh, the, the, his team and the other team are kind of in cahoots. And so they snap the ball. He's usually just the water boy, but usually on this particular game, he goes out in dress and he's just smiling and the crowd's loving it. It's very excited. The news cameras are there. And so they, they snap the ball to Noah. They give him the ball and the other team just kind of makes a way and they let Noah through the line and he scores a touchdown and the crowd goes crazy. Of course they do. This kid, wow, this is awesome. Now, technically he didn't 
earn the touchdown. He doesn't have the coordination to, to play at that level and to score the touchdown, but it was given to him. He was credited with the touchdown. You can see where I'm going with this. Credited with the touchdown, but it was really the gift of the other team that led him through the line to get the touchdown. And there's this beautiful interview with his dad. Uh, so his dad's being interviewed and he just starts crying. And then I, I, whoever's watching, you just have to start crying if you're a human. And so his, his dad, the dad says, 18 years ago, my son Noah was born, and they said he wasn't going to be able to walk. They said he wasn't going to be able to talk. They said he wasn't going to do anything. And look at him today. Like, he was just so proud, this, this young man, this father of this boy who's 18. And so, what a, just a, this crediting of a, a touchdown. God here in this passage is telling us through the servant Paul, the apostle, that we have been credited with righteousness. And what is righteousness? Let me read for you some of the synonyms of righteousness. Morally right, upright, no wrong. Like we have been given this gift, this righteousness from God, that we are beyond good. We are perfect. We are holy because God has made us that way. So let's review really quick. We, we've been studying here the book of Romans. This is the fourth week. This is the fourth chapter. Chapter one was all about God has made the world and people with, are without excuse. God has made himself known to the world. And Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Chapter two, if you remember, we were out in the park. Anybody out in the park with us? Uh, we, we talked about how Paul calls us all to not judge. And it was a wonderful message for being outside and in the community. Said that Christians are often, uh, you know, people point fingers at Christians. And say Those guys are always judging people. That's what they do. And here we are gathered in the park saying, actually, everyone is being called. Christians are being called not to judge. That was chapter two. And then last week, if you were here, we talked about the very famous verse in Romans 3 that says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then, the, and then we talked about how the law, we look at the law and by, by no one can look at the law and say, look how good I've been. But instead we look at the law and say, we've fallen short. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Today, we're going to talk about this righteousness being credited to us because of faith. And to give you insight into next week, we'll, Paul takes us on this journey. So today is we've been made righteous. And chapter five, next week, we'll talk about because we are in God, we are given peace. And even when we suffer, we should delight in our sufferings because it leads us into God's path. But that's preview for next week. Today, turn into your Bibles if you have them uh, or look up on the screen. We will put up uh, Romans 4 chapter 4, verse 1, and we will talk about how this is Abraham's faith credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was credited to him for as righteousness. Here's what the passage says. And it's kind of hard to read because Paul, it's this couple, like, it's like an inception of rhetorical questions, one within the other. Danae read it beautifully. Let's see how I can do. But it's this question. What then shall we say that Abraham, comma, our forefather according to the flesh, comma, discovered in this matter. So what did Abraham discover? Well, if, another question, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. And then here's the, kind of the answer. Here's where Paul's going. What does the scripture say? And this is found in Genesis 15, 6. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
So what does that mean? What is this thing about Abraham? Do you know who Abraham is? There's a song about him. Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> many sons. <laughs> and it's like right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot, chin up, turn around. My whole childhood, my parents did well. They brought me to church. I thought that that Abraham in that song was Abraham Lincoln. Like, I don't know how I missed that as a kid, but I was like, yeah, the guy in the penny, the guy with the beard. And then, like, later in high school, like, people were singing that song. It was like, That's, how many kids did Abraham have? And I found out he only has, like, four kids. That's it. Why is this whole song about him? How is he the father of all? It's like, well, technically, it's not Abraham Lincoln. It's the other Abraham, the Abraham that's in the Bible. So I clear that up in case anyone else is also confused. It's not Abraham Lincoln. It's the Abraham in the Bible. And the Abraham in the Bible, the Abraham in Genesis, the real Abraham, who this this passage is about. Um, we find him doing his own thing in a land of Ur of the Chaldees, and God comes to him and says, Abraham, I am going to bless you. And in fact, he says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have children and all people on earth. I mean, talk about this blessing. All people on earth are going to be blessed through you. And here Abraham is in his old age, his wife Sarah, or Sarai at the time, their, their names get changed, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. The, the, she, she's well beyond the years of bearing children, and God says, you're going to have a child, and not only are you going to have a child, all of the world, all humans are going to be blessed by you. And he believes God. And it is credited to him as righteousness, which is what is said in Genesis 15, 6, which is what Paul writes here in the book of Romans. He takes this promise, how God promised to Abraham and how Abraham believed. And he says, just like that, so we can be. We can be the ones who believe in God and are credited with righteousness. It's pretty interesting here. Um, on Tuesdays, I spend a lot of time, it's, it's one of the joys I get to do every week in, in studying the scripture, looking at commentaries, uh, studying, well, what am I going to say? Putting these words together. Every Tuesday, I meet up with the other pastors of the other congregations of New Life, uh, New Life Friday Night and, and uh, New Life North, Nueva Vida, we have a Spanish-speaking congregation, and so on. And we get together and we talk about the passage. And we were talking, and usually what happens on Tuesdays is we begin to nerd out a little bit, talk about the commentaries, and we talk about like famous theologians. What did Karl Barth have to say about this passage? And we kind of nerd out a little bit. And at one point, Brady just kind of mentioned as a side note, it's like, if we really get this passage, if we really get any passage when we're speaking, we should be able to explain it. We should be able to preach it to a child. We should be able to tell a story that sums up what we're saying. And Daniel Grothy, the pastor of New Life Friday night, he chimed in and said, yeah, that's what, I mean, that's what Jesus would do. He would take these big things about the kingdom of God and he would break it down into story and say, the kingdom of God is like this. And he would give an analogy or a story to what it was like. So I have a story, a uh, modern day analogy of what this passage is like to kind of retell here. So if you'd bear with me for just a second, imagine yourself uh, walking up to a famous, uh, a rich, a very powerful CEO of a company. Let's just say a big like electric company or something. And he sees you and you see him and, and he points to you and says, hey, you, come here. And you're like, oh no, what did I do? What am I in trouble for? He's, get over here. And you're like, what? 
He said, well, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you, if it's okay with you, I'm going to give you a cash bonus. Does that sound good? And you're like, yeah, that sounds great. He says, well, I don't know how much you make, but, but how does six figures sound? You're like, wow, yeah, that sounds really great. Thank you. He said, well, well I'm going I'm to give you that cash bonus. I'm going to give you um, the raise. I'm going to give you the benefits that the executives have, that I have. I'm going to give you all those benefits. How does that sound? It sounds great. Of course it does. And he says, well, do you believe that I'm going to give it to you? And you're like, well, yeah, I mean, I've never met you before, but uh, other people have said that you're trustworthy, you run this company pretty well, I believe you're a man of, of, of you know, you, you do what you say, so yes, I believe that you're going to give me this gift. And he says, well, good, because now that you believe, I am going to credit you with this title, employee of the lifetime. Not employee of the month, not employee of the day, not employee of the year, but best employee ever. How does that sound? That sounds pretty good. So let me get this straight. So you're going to give me all these things, the cash bonus, the benefits, and a bigger salary. And just because I believed I now have this title of best employee ever, like, yep, that's how it works. Like, isn't that a little, doesn't that sound too good to be true? If it does, well, yeah, it sounds wonderful. It sounds awesome. This is what's going on. This is what Paul uses as an example to talk about how we have been justified. We have been made righteous by our faith. And the story gets a little better because uh, he talks about how we don't have to work at all for this righteousness that it's given to us. So imagine back in this scenario where, where the CEO has just promised you all these things and you're like, Hey, I, I, you're, you're talking with your buddy about <clears throat> that interaction that just happened. He's like, wow, that's pretty cool that he's giving you all this stuff. He's like, did you actually tell him that you don't work here? And you're like, uh, no, I guess I need to do that. Uh, and so you go to the CEO's office and, and knock on the door. And he opens up the door and you're like, uh, hey, Mr. CEO guy, um, uh, just, I have a little side note here. I, I know that you're going to give me all this stuff and I believe that you're going to give me all this stuff, but, uh, I was just here visiting my friend for lunch when I saw you. I don't actually work here. And you just kind of wait for him to say like, you lied to me. Get out. And instead he says, yeah, I know. I just, I, I picked you out of the crowd and I, I assumed you didn't work here because you didn't have the uniform. And, and that's, that's, that's okay. You, you still get all the stuff. Do you still want it? Of course I still want it. Wow. So look at this passage. The, the next point, actually, the point two of three is to the one that does not work, to the one that does not work, thinking about our lives and, and what if our lives have not, have fallen short before God? What if we've messed things up in our life like we all actually have? What about to the one who does not work at all? Well, it says this. So this is Romans 4, 4. Now, the, to the one who works, so he's talking about to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So if you work uh, and, and the boss like makes this big deal about giving you a gift and it's just your paycheck, you're like, hey, bro, this isn't a gift. Like I worked. Now you need to pay. This is an obligation. In fact, I was talking to someone here in our congregation. I won't say their name. It's a very honoring thing, but I don't want to embarrass them. Um, but they, they own a business and they had some people work for them to do, to do some landscaping. And at the end of these, these couple different jobs, the, the, as a new company is oftentimes, you have to buy tools that you're going to use at other jobs and stuff. So they made money and it wasn't, uh, it just kind of ended up losing money because he first and foremost paid his employees. And he said, well, that's what you do. So yeah, that's, that's the right thing to do. There, there's horrible 
people out there, horrible bosses that would take the money first and pay themselves and then with what's left over pay their employees. But that's not how it's to be done. How it's to be done, the right thing to do is to pay the people that work for you first and then if there's any left over, which in this case there wasn't, you pay yourself. But to the one who works, the wages are not credited as a a gift, but as an obligation. However, verse 5, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. Think about that phrase there. The one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So this repeats back, like here's where Paul is going with this letter, Romans 1, 2, and 3, lead up to this moment where he is so clearly saying, you don't have to work for your salvation. People often look at us as Christians into the church and say, look at all those goody two-shoes thinking they're, you know, doing so much good things and God's going to be happy with them because they're doing all these good things. It's just the opposite. We're here saying, No, we've all fallen short, ourselves, me included, first and foremost, a sinner. And I stand before God with nothing, not working for salvation, but being made righteous because of what he has done for us. In other words, God loves us just as much every day. So if on one day we finished this great thing for him, we did some great thing, we went to church and we served the Lord and maybe we fasted a meal or something to pray and we spent time in prayer. We did all these great things on this great day. God is just as much in love with us and is just as happy with us on that day as a dark day in our lives where we have fallen short, where our sins are being revealed and it's a depression horrible day for us and we're thinking about how much we've messed up. Well, God is still with us on that day and God still loves us and God still declares us righteous, not because what we have done, but because what he has done in us. Reminds me of this story that Jesus tells, a parable. It's, it's, I remember first hearing this parable years ago, and I was like, that's not right. That's weird. Um, but now, having studied the book of Romans and thinking about it and thinking about it all this week, I'm like, this makes perfect sense. We are all like the ones hired at the last hour. So here's the story. It's, it's found in Matthew chapter 20. It's called the parable of the vineyard workers. So there's this guy that owns a vineyard, and he needs a bunch of work done. So he goes out to this place where a bunch of people are waiting to go to work. I guess this was just kind of the custom in the ancient world. If you wanted to work but didn't have work, you wanted to be a day laborer, you would go to this place. And then uh, the people that needed workers would go to this place and pick up people to go work for them in their fields. I remember, maybe it's similar, I don't know, in California, I remember seeing uh, at at the back end of a parking lot, Tons of people just hanging out in the Home Depot parking lot. And they're like, what are they doing there so early in the morning? It's probably a similar case. They were waiting for work. The uh, foreman would go out, pick up the, the, the supplies, and on the way out, pick up some guys to go help work on a roof or whatever. So maybe it's something like that. There's a bunch of people hired. And it seems like if you count up the hours, and it's like the first hour, the second hour, there's 12 hours in a working day in this ancient world, which is, by the way, a very long day to be doing anything, much less working in a field in the sun all day. So this guy goes out and picks up some workers at 6 a.m. And they start working in the field. And I imagine the sun would come out and it would get hot. And they're just working like dogs, picking the grapes in the vineyard. And at some point around 9 a.m., the the owner of the vineyard realizes he needs more people. So he goes back out to the place, gets some more guys at 9 a.m., brings them to the field, and they start working. He realizes he needs some more. So he goes back out at noon and gets some more workers and comes back to the field. So here we have three 
three groups, the 6 a.m., the 9 a.m., and the noon people. Here they are, like, just doing a half day of work. And then this really weird time of the day, he goes out at 5 p.m. The day ends at 6. So a working day back then was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. This owner of the vineyard goes out at 5 p.m. And he picks up some people and brings them to the vineyard to work for just an hour left. And you're kind of like, is it even worth it at that point to, to go work for just an hour, like the walk, and you have to walk back, and just an hour of work? What were they even doing there at 5 o'clock? The day was pretty much over anyways. But here they were, and they come to work at the vineyard for just one hour left in the day. Now, if you're there at 6 a.m. and had worked all day, you would probably, you'd probably like want to know like which ones of us were here at 6 a.m. Were we given like little bracelets that they were here at 6 a.m.? Like how did the master know who's who? Like we're, okay, you guys were there. Yeah, you were the one. You weren't. You were the nine o'clock. You were the six. You were the noon. I saw you. You came in at noon. And then you jokers back there, you were the 5 p.m. crowd. So don't come in this group when the owner comes back to pay us. Don't you stand in this line because you guys just worked for an hour and we've been here like dogs since 6 a.m. working all day. And so the owner of the vineyard comes out with cash in hand. I imagine it was coins because that's what they did back then. He had a bucket of coins worth a ton of money and he's going to hand out this money to the people who worked the different hours. And instead he says, hey everybody, I, I, I uh, promised uh, a, a day's wage to the ones working at 6 a.m., but I'm going to give everyone here a day's wage. And you can imagine the crowd, yeah, everybody would be super happy except for the people that got there at 6 a.m. I mean, can you imagine being there just working one hour and getting paid for a day's wage? That would be like winning the lottery or even at noon or even at 9 a.m. You didn't work those three hours, but here you are. You're going to get paid. So everybody is ecstatic about this except for the people who worked since 6 a.m. And here's the line. They go to the master and say, you know, this isn't fair. We've been here all day. We've worked here all all day for you. And we are getting paid the same as those that just worked an hour. This isn't fair. They're really upset. And the owner of the vineyard says, here's the line. It's in Matthew. Do I not have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm so generous? It basically says, I've paid you what you earned. You earned a day's wage, and I paid you a day's wage. But here's all these other guys who just worked for uh, six hours, or, or just the jokers that worked for one hour, and they're all getting paid the same. Why? Because the Lord is generous. And, and Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And if we are honest with ourselves, I think everyone in here, starting with me, we would have to say, we're more like the guys, we're more like the jokers that get hired at 5 p.m. than someone who has worked like a dog perfectly their whole life, the whole amount of time. We are the ones who have been hired at 5, and the Lord is gracious to us in crediting to us righteousness. The last point here is, is the third and final point. Jesus' death was for our sins. Jesus' death was for our sins. Let me read Romans 4.23. It's towards the end of the chapter where Paul goes back to this uh, argument he's making. And he says, what are the words? It was credit to him were meant for not him alone. Let me read that again. The words, it was credited to him. So he's referring back to Abraham, the Abraham of Genesis, and it says, uh, what, what do these words mean? They were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. 
For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Let me read that again because it's easy to, to daydream through these words. It's, it's, it's hard to get it. Paul, this is like a 400 level book of the Bible. There's rhetorical questions within rhetorical questions. And Paul is really uh, running uh, this whole big point just to say, we are credited with righteousness when we, we, when we believe. So he starts off with Abraham. He says, look at Abraham. He was credited with righteousness, not because he was this great guy. He was this great guy, but he was credited with righteousness before he did anything. And then what are the words? These words, verse 23, the words, it was credited to him were written, not for him alone, but for us, all the readers who would read the book of Romans, but for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So what is this saying? It's saying that the creator of all, the God of this world and the universe, the God who has made it all, he came to this world to live like one of us, a human. And it says that he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It's beautiful. It's, he, did he really do that? Did, did, did the Lord, the God of all, really become one of us to die for us and to cover over our sins? Well, that's the good news. That sounds too good to be true, but in this case, it is true. This is what the Lord of all has done, and it's what Paul says again and again and again throughout Scripture. It is why this cross is so important. People often say, uh, maybe not often, but people will look at Christians and say, oh, they see the cross, they see the necklaces. Uh, what's the big deal with the cross? You know, in, in our congregation, this is not the biggest stage in the world. Ask the, 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 the worship leaders. Like, it is it's difficult to get everything up here. And it's like, do we really need the cross up here? It's big. It kind of sticks out a little bit. What's the big deal with the cross anyways? Well, the big deal of the cross, why we continue to keep it up here, is that that is the thing that our God, and we believe Jesus is fully God, we believe that God himself died on the cross for our sins and that we can be covered from all of our mistakes, that, that none of us in here can, can boast and say, God, I was here at 6 a.m. working my whole life for you and I've never done anything wrong. I've never messed up. I've been working like a dog. It's like, well, Think about your life for just a second and be honest. We are much more like the ones getting hired towards the end of the day. And we just show up and God says, hey, everybody here, if you believe, you are going to be credited with righteousness. If you've heard me preach before, you've probably heard the hint of something that I just always just end up talking about in a lot of my sermons, that God is the one who chases us down in his love. That if we look at our lives and we see the times we've walked away from God, we've seen those hard times. Then we look back and say, well, well, God was right there all along. He was chasing me. And we could really only see that from hindsight, but he was there all along. If we look at the Bible and we, we look through the stories, it starts off with a perfect world. Adam and Eve are there and they do what they were told exactly not to do. Don't eat from this fruit. And what do they do? They go eat from it. And then they run and they hide away from God because they know the shame that's upon them. And what does God do? 
Well, if you read the story, he's, he's walking after them. He's looking for them, calling out their names. And he, he finds them and says, what have you done? You've, have you eaten this? And yes, they have this conversation. And I always wonder, like, what would have happened if they would have just said they were so sorry in that moment instead of saying blame, like Adam says, the, the woman you put me with here, she ate it. She gave it to me. So like this blame game going on. A couple of pages later, it's, it's Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel present an offering before the Lord. And, and Abel's offering is pleasing to God's sight, but Cain and his offering is not. And Cain kills his brother Abel. And what does he do? He runs and hides. And God comes out and says, Cain, what have you done? Where is your brother Abel? And what does he say? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God knows he's lying because he knows all things. Your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. You have killed him. And then there's this, this conversation. So the Lord is continuously chasing after us in his love. You look at the stories of Israel, and they, they're in the desert wandering and complaining against God. It's like, there's this famous line, that like, wasn't there graves in Egypt for us to die in? Why did you bring us out of the desert? And it's like, hello, they were slaves in Egypt, and now they're set free. It's like, well, wasn't there was better food in Egypt? It's like, are you kidding me? You were a slave, and now you're free. And so God, God chases after them and brings manna to them for them to eat. And hear the Lord again, once again, like thinking through the stories of the Bible, the stories of our life. God is chasing us down in his love, and he is so generous. He is the creator of all. Would you bow your head with me? Would you quiet your heart this morning with me? And Lord, we first and foremost, we, we thank you that, that you have given us this righteousness and Lord, may we accept this gift, and it's a gift you give to us, and it's by faith. And Lord, you are the one giving us faith. It's all about you, Lord. It's, it's from you and through you and to you. And Lord, here we are, your, your servants, people that have, that have walked in life. And Lord, we, we stand in awe, we stand amazed thinking about how we could be credited as perfect, as saints, as holy just because of the faith you have given us. So, Lord, we, we stand back and we just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. We receive this gift, Lord, that you have given to us, and we praise your holy name. And before you, Lord, we, we come to you and say, Lord, we confess, we're sorry. And, Lord, we ask you continually to, to cover us with this righteousness. So we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to say a prayer. It's a prayer we often say as a church. It's a, it's a prayer that should never become rote in our just saying, but it should be a prayer that, that we pray together. It's asking for the Lord to give uh, us mercy. And then this line, Lord, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will. So let's pray this prayer together in unison. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name Amen.